Good morning. I want to encourage you to take your Bibles and turn, please, to 2 Samuel chapter 23. 2 Samuel 23, we'll begin reading there in just a moment. 2 Samuel 23. The title of this morning's message is Love Him with All Your Heart. We've been studying prayer since January, really since the end of last year. We've been looking at it in terms of a practice, a discipline, learning how to pray the way Jesus taught us to pray. This morning I want to talk to you about the heart that prays, the only way that you can sustain your prayer life is to be in love with the person that you're talking to. This week I had the privilege of speaking in a church in another part of the Delta here in Arkansas, not but a handful of people making up that small church and half of them white, half of them black, a biracial church in the Delta. I was part of a series of services that they were holding. Church is fairly young, even though the building is old. My heart was to encourage them, and those of you who know me know that part of my desire in being a part of Wynn Baptist Church is that God might use me and God might use us to do something in the Delta that's never been done. To see God come and so move his people that the place the rest of the world wants to walk away from becomes a place that people want to come to and see what's happening. I was struck on that night, not only by a sense of the Lord's presence in that little meeting, but also by the love that the people had for their Lord, their love for God. Because there really wasn't a whole lot that would cause you to want to go to that particular building out in the field, in the middle of nowhere, although it was a suburb, sort of, of nowhere. The only reason to keep going there week after week in the face of overwhelming challenges is because you love Jesus. And you really feel that acutely sometimes when you're in a smaller membership situation or overseas in a small church where just meeting together is a great risk. And so it really caused me to think this week about us and how the Lord wants to use us to encourage other churches, to encourage other ministries, to encourage life wherever it lives in the Delta. We want to fan it into a flame. Where there are pastors who are discouraged, we want to be the people who encourage them. Where there are places that have no church and no gospel witness, we want to be a people that God uses to plant those churches and those ministries so that what the heart of the Father wants to accomplish in us and through us could be done. 
And that is not going to happen until we are the people he wants us to be. And we are on a journey together, and we are growing. And if you are here this morning and breathing, I know for a fact that God is not finished with you yet. And you still have much to learn and many ways to grow, and you have not arrived. And your pastor feels that more, I think, than anyone else here. Love him with all your heart. How do you show someone that you are madly in love with them? How do you show the person that you are madly in love with that you love them? Typically, we do it through extravagant gifts. We'll buy them not just a dozen roses, a hundred roses. Not just a box of candy, but a hundred boxes of candy. Not just small, little, inexpensive things, but large, expensive things. Diamonds, or whatever your version of diamonds are. I want you to see the example of a, of a man who's madly in love with his wife. Watch this for just a moment, and we'll see that picture. And finally, America's Strong. We team up with the Asbury Park Press, meeting a couple showing us what's in their attic. Valentine's every day of the year. Inside this home in Toms River, New Jersey, a husband with pen in hand. You're my best friend. I know how perfect you are for me. And the best part of the whole trip is that you'll be there with me. Lucky me. I love you madly, my darling. Bill Bresden signing a love note to his wife. One note a day, every day, for nearly 40 years now. It's been every single day, and it still is. They mean everything, really, to me. That's right. Every night when most of us are setting our alarms, brushing our teeth, Bill is giving Chris a love note. I give her the cards just before we go to bed. Mm -hmm. I draw them sometimes during the day, sometimes I buy them if I happen to be somewhere, or if Chris is away, I mail them to wherever she's going to be. So many cards, so many notes, they're now stored in the attic. All the boxes of cards are stored up here. Sorted by year, by month. So all those and more are boxes of Chrissy cards. 25 boxes, thousands of cards. I'm crazy about her. That's the only way I can describe it. 1989 Christmas. For Bill, it seems every day is Valentine's. And for Chris, every day brings a new note. I would be so heartbroken if there was a night when I didn't get a card. What's amazing is, is that even after all these years, it isn't waning. Is he crazy or what? Over 10,000 love notes to his wife. Same woman, nearly 40 years. I brought with me this morning a, a water. Someone mentioned to me coming in, we've got plenty of water outside. <laughs> I didn't bring it to drink this morning, although after this service I may take a drink of it. But I brought it because it represents what we're going to see in the story. Now you look at this bottle of water, it doesn't look very extravagant, does it? And yet what we're about to read describes how extravagant a cup of water can be. We're reading today about three men who did an amazing thing for a man that they deeply loved and admired and respected. These three men were part of a larger group of men called David's Mighty Men. When David killed Goliath, you know the story. If you don't, 
come see me after church, I'll tell you the story. It's a good story. But David, as a small boy, went up against this giant Goliath and killed him with a sling. And after that occurred, Saul took David virtually into his own home. And he loved David initially, but so did everybody else. Jonathan, his son, loved David. Michael, his daughter, loved David. The people loved David. They sang songs. Saul has killed his thousands, David his tens of thousands. And after Saul heard that song, his heart turned against David. In fact, he began to hate David, wanted to kill David, and David had to flee. And so David goes on the run, and all of these men gathered to him, to support him, to love him. And they slept together, they ate together, they laughed together, they did life together, they fought together. At one time, these, these men numbered as many as 400 guys. And within that large group, there was a smaller group, a group of 30 men who were particularly skilled at war, who were particularly faithful and loyal to David. They were the mighty men. After David became king and Saul was killed and David was brought finally to the throne, it was a 20-year journey between the time of the promise and the time of the fulfillment. And when David came to the throne, the Philistines decided to test him to see what he was made of. And so they invaded Israel. They occupied Bethlehem. And they filled up the valley of Rephaim, which goes all the way up to Jerusalem. And so they're within a few miles southwest of Jerusalem. And David is forced to evacuate the city. And he goes to a cave, his stronghold. And things were not looking good for the king. And then we read what happened next. Chapter 23, 2 Samuel, verses 13 through 16. The Bible says, Then three of the thirty chief men went down at harvest time and came to David at the cave of Adullam. And the troop of Philistines encamped in the valley of Rephaim. David was then in the stronghold, and the garrison in the Philistines was then in Bethlehem. And David said with longing, Oh, that someone would give me a drink of water from the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. So, the three men, the mighty men, broke through the camp of the Philistines, drew water from the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate, and took it and brought it to David. Nevertheless, he would not drink it, but poured it out to the Lord. Why did David pour it out to the Lord? Listen to the prayer he prays next in verse 17. And he said, Far be it from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Is this not the blood of the men who went in jeopardy of their lives? Therefore, he would not drink it. David saw that these three were giving him something that could never belong to him. David was a strong man with the admiration of strong men around him, but he was also tenderhearted, and he was sensitive to the Lord. He loved the Lord. Psalm 18, 1 says, I will love you, O Lord, my strength. Psalm 116, verse 1 says, I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my supplications. And David knew that God wants us to love him. God wants us to love him. And these men were crossing the line. And giving that devotion to David. David knew the law and what it was saying 
in Deuteronomy 6, 5, where Moses said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Loving the Lord your God with all your heart immediately points you and me, not outwardly, to ways we love the Lord, but inwardly. It has to start here. It has to be in the heart. and involves everything that I am. My heart, out of my heart come the issues of life, my my decisions, my emotions, my will, my thoughts, my soul includes the entirety of who I am, my, my body, everything that I am, my strength literally refers to my resources, everything that I own, everything that I have, everything I possess. And at each statement, the circle goes larger and larger and larger. I am to hold nothing back from him. This is our job. You, each of you, all of you, it is your job. When the day of judgment comes, this is the one thing You want to know that you did, that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These three men illustrate when it looks like when someone loves God with all his heart. They illustrate it. Unhinged. I jotted down words that came to mind as I looked at this. Unhinged. Disturbed. Irrational. Irresponsible. Reckless. By now, I hope you're wondering, do I love God like this? If not, why not? I've come to church, I give some time, I volunteer, I've done it for years, perhaps you're thinking like that. But have you withheld your heart, or have you given him all your heart? We've got work to do if we're going to love the Lord the way these men love David. And here's where we start. First, confess and remove the love limits in your heart. Confess and remove the love limits in your heart. You know, we have speed limits. Not that anyone pays attention to them. But in our hearts, we sometimes put love limits on how far we're willing to go. What are some of the limits that we have in our hearts? First, the limit of risk and loss. The limit of risk and loss In verse 17, he says, is this not the blood of the men who went in jeopardy, danger, risk of their lives? And sometimes we think, if I love God too much at school or at work or at home, people are going to make fun of me. They're going to ridicule me. They're going to call me names. They're going to say I'm a religious nut, that I'm some kind of fanatic. And so we limit sometimes our devotion to the Lord. A second limit is the limit of self-preservation. The limit of self-preservation The same statement captured this. Is this not the blood of the men who went in jeopardy of their lives? We live in a world today where just claiming to be a Christian can get you killed. The bloodthirsty, demonized haters of humanity will not just ask you to deny Jesus. They will force you to convert to what they believe. And we're not just talking about ISIS. In Matthew 24, 9, Jesus said you will be hated by all nations for my sake. That day will come. In Matthew, in Luke 18, 8, he said it's going to be so bad in the last days. The people are going to be so persecuted. The persecution will be so intense that he says, I'm going to hear the cry of the people. I'm going to avenge the people. But nevertheless, will the Son of Man find faith on the earth when he comes? Because so few 
he says, will be left. There's a limit of risk and loss and self-preservation, but thirdly, there's a limit of personal needs. It says in, in verse 13, then three of the 30 chief men went down at harvest time and came to David. I've learned already in Wynn, Arkansas, I hate to ask anybody to do anything in harvest. Because people are so covered up with work. They have so much to do, so much responsibility. And so it's hard to break away and to do things during harvest. These men came during harvest. They came at the most difficult time of the year. They came, they chose to come and to be with David. Where do you draw the line in your love for him in terms of your personal needs? Lord, that's too much money. I need this much money. Lord, that's too much time. I need this time for me. I need this time for me. You're asking too much of me. There's a limit of personal needs. There's also a limit of obligation that stands in our hearts. In verse 15, oh, that someone would give me a drink of the water from the well of Bethlehem. You know, that was extreme. That was over the top. Those men had to leave David. They had to go cut through the enemy lines. Two of them had to fight while one of them got water out of the well, I guess. And that's just over the top, way beyond. And people with limits on the love in their heart, they can't do things like that. They can't charge the enemy. They can't break through the lines. They can't get that water and bring it back for the one that they love. They stop when their sense of duty is exhausted. Married couples do this all the time when they're in trouble. Oh, I'll love her more when she starts doing X, Y, Z. I'll love him more when he starts doing fill in the blank. You know, it's really amazing when people love the Lord with all their heart. I never see them get divorced. I don't see couples that love the Lord with all their heart saying, I'm going to walk away from that man. I'm going to walk away from that woman. We put limits. We have obligations. We set lines in the sand. But the kind of love we're called to when we love him with all our heart and all our soul and all our strength has no limits. And it looks really crazy. So when I love the Lord with all my heart, what does it look like? What does it look like when I love the Lord with all my heart? First, my life is forgotten. My life is forgotten. Forgotten. In verse 17, he says, is this not the blood of the men? Blood is life. No blood, no life. And these men were, were completely not thinking about themselves. They were just going when they heard the heart of the one they loved. They didn't even think about their lives. Jesus described this process to us in the New Testament in Matthew 16, verse 24. He said, if anyone desires to come after me, look at that word desires, circle that word desires. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. You know why people do that. You know why people follow Jesus? You know why people sell out? You know why people charge through the enemy lines to get a cup of water for someone they love? The words desire. They love him that much. They love him that much. It is raw, unashamed desire for Jesus that causes a person to forget about themselves completely. Jesus described it in one of his parables in Matthew 13, 44. He said, again, the kingdom of the heaven Heavens is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid. 
and for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. What was the motivation? To get rich? What was the motivation? Joy. Joy. He saw the preciousness. He saw the beauty. He saw the Lord. He said the kingdom of God, when God rules in a person's life, it's just like that. When a person sees who God is, when a person sees what he has done, that this God, in an irrational, reckless, irresponsible way, came after me, giving his own son. And for joy over it, when I see that, when I get that, the heart explodes with desire. Can I tell you why? We don't love God in the same over-the-top, wild way that those mighty men love David. Two reasons. One, and I'm not saying this is true of you. I'm just saying there's two reasons why it doesn't happen. One, you don't know him. You just don't know him. You don't know what he's done. It's not real to you. You may have made a decision years ago. You may have walked down an aisle and joined a church. But you are not in love with Jesus the Christ who died for you, who gave his life for you. You don't know him. Because people who know him, they're wild and crazy about him. Another possibility, why you and I aren't crazy, wild over him, is I don't know him very well. One is lostness, the other is ignorance. I just don't take time to be with him, to to gaze on him, to read about him, to, to know him. He has chosen to reveal much to me, everything I need to know about him. On this side of heaven, he has revealed to me in his book. And until I take time to get to know him, to discover him, to explore him, which, by the way, will be our eternal preoccupation, my love is going to be limited. When I love the Lord with all my heart, I lose myself in love for him. Secondly, My driving passion is to please him. My driving passion is to please him. In verse 15 it says, And David said with longing, Oh, that someone would give me a drink of the water from the well Bethlehem, which is by the gate. Now look at the word so. So, the three mighty men. In most translations it says so, in the ESV it says then. But something happened at that moment. So, so. You know, a religious person coming into a church or a new religious group says, what are the rules? What do you want me to do, God? What do I have to do? What are the rules? What are the obligations? What are the things I have to do to be a part of this thing called Christianity or whatever that religious group is? A Christian looks at the heart of the Lord and says, Lord, what do you love? What do you rejoice in? What do you glory in? What gives you pleasure? The Christian says, what's on your heart, Lord? It's not about what I need to feel good about myself. It's not about what I need to feel right or just in the eyes of men and God. It's about, Lord, what's on your heart? What's on your heart? That word so tells a great story about those three men. They were listening. They were listening. They were leaning in to the heart of David. They were near him, and he speaks. He just speaks. Oh, 
Oh, that I could just have a drink of water from that place where I grew up. That place that I call home. Oh, that I could just have that. And they're leaning in. They're listening. They're so sensitive, so much paying attention to the object of their love. Leaning in. That's all they needed to hear. No discussion, no debate. They were out of there. And love doesn't discuss, doesn't debate with God. Here's his heart, and he goes, goes. Love engages all the heart. It's not rational. It's irresponsible. It's lavish. It's insane. It's extravagant. That's the way love is when it involves all the heart. Thirdly, when I love the Lord with all my heart, I lose myself and my love for him. My drive is to please him, and then my closest friends are all in with me. It says in those same verses, so the three mighty men. They were doing it together, leaning in together, hearing his heart together, and together they took off. One of the reasons that you will struggle with your love with God is because of the people that you run with. People who are white hot for Jesus help and draw others who are white hot for Jesus. The people you pray with are going to be the people who help you the most in this area. The people you spend time with and studying God's Word together are going to be the people who help you the most in this area. The people who are white hot for God are the people that will draw other people who are white hot for God. And it makes all the difference who your closest friends are. It makes all the difference who the people are that you admire. It makes all the difference who the people are that you want to respect you as a person. Because their values are what you're going to pursue. What they admire is what you're going to go after. What they care about is going to influence you. When I love the Lord with all my heart, I lose myself and my love for him. My drive is to please him. I stay close to friends who are white hot in love with Jesus. And then number four, my mission is to point others to him. My mission is to point others to him. In verse 16 it says, he would not drink it, but poured it out to the Lord. It says twice in this passage he would not drink it. He would not drink it, but poured it out to the Lord. He took the cup of water and he poured it out on the ground. When someone comes to you and they're holding a cup brimming with love and devotion, it is not for you. It is the Lord's. And like David, we have to be a people that pour it out on the ground. Don't drink it. Only he is worthy of such devotion. Too many ministers drink from the cup. We have turned too many ministers in North America into superstars. And the danger of that is not because the guy is gifted and he speaks God's word well. The danger in that is that that man can begin to believe the media about him. The danger in his heart is he begin to, can begin to think that I am that good. I am worthy of this. I am special, and devotion towards me is okay. Pride still goes before destruction. And when we drink from that cup, when that person falls, and how many have fallen? When that person falls, it is disastrous. For the gospel. 
And it happens every year in North America. Every year, as long as I've been preaching, it happens. And you say, well, preacher, I'm not a preacher. I'm not a minister. So how does this apply to me? I'm just a regular guy. Well, when David poured out the, the water before those three men, what was he doing? What was he doing? He was saying something to the Lord, but he was also saying something to the men that were watching. He was saying, guys, it's not about me. Guys, it's not about me. And he was pointing the hearts of those men to the Lord. I believe if I was standing there that all three of those men would have bowed their heads at that moment because they were good men and they were godly men. But at that moment, they understood the message that they were being told by their brother David. It's so easy for you and me to forget what we're doing and think, you know, this ministry thing is pretty cool. This being a Sunday school teacher is pretty cool. This being a deacon is pretty cool. Serving in church is pretty cool. Doing these ministry things is pretty cool. Going on overseas mission trips is pretty cool. Doing these different things is cool. And we can begin to think that this thing that is pretty cool is something I love and something that I cherish, and something that's valuable to me. And that ministry, this thing that you enjoy about church, this thing you enjoy about being around God's people and, and even serving God, this thing that I enjoy becomes an idol in and of itself. You say, well, how does that happen? Years ago, I had spoken in a church, itinerating, and it seems like I've done that most of my life, speaking in different places, but this was about 20-something years ago, and, and I had spoken at a church one particular Sunday, and I got a call Sunday afternoon after I spoke at that church from a man who was not in the service. Someone had heard me speak, got a tape, you can tell how far back we're going now, got a cassette tape, and said, went over to his friend's house who had missed church, and he said, you have got to hear this particular message. And on that particular day, I'd preached on husbands and wives from Ephesians 5. The man listened to the tape, and he called me up. And so this was not a couple hours after the service. He calls me up. He says, can we talk? And I wasn't doing anything in particular at that moment. I had nothing to do that, that night. And I said, sure. And so we met at my office. And at that time, I was bivocational. So we went to my workplace on a Sunday afternoon. And I met with this man. His name was Jack. And Jack came in and said, said Don, I heard your tape. He said, I got to talk to you. I don't know what to do. My wife is packing her bags. She is going to leave me. We talked for about an hour. I listened to him and asked some questions. We went back over the scripture again. He went home, repented before his wife of what he had done, asked her forgiveness, and she unpacked her bags. What happened? Jack was involved in a ministry at his church. He was so involved that he was active in it almost seven days a week. It was a prison ministry in his case. He took calls from people. He met with people. 
He'd be in the middle of dinner with his family, get a phone call, get up and go in the other room, talk to whoever was on the other line, some man that needed help. And this had gone on for some time, and his wife had complained to him, and so the two of them went to their pastor and another pastor and another pastor. They went to a series of preachers, and each of the preachers looked at her and told her that if she loved Jesus, she wouldn't complain about his involvement in ministry. But as I listened to Jack, I heard something else. I heard a man that was feeding on the admiration and the needs of others. Feeding on needing to be needed. Feeding on wanting to be wanted. Feeding to be available when someone would call and say, oh, they need me, and he drew from that. Ministry for him had not been a way of serving God in an extravagant way, but ministry for him had become an idol. And he fed on it. And his wife, sensing that his love for her had slipped down somewhere down the ladder to second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, maybe off the chart, was jealous and felt like he had been with another woman. And when Jack saw how he had wounded his wife and how he had offended the Lord, he resigned and said, I got I to gotta start with my heart. I got to go back and deal with my heart. My heart's not right with you, Lord. My heart is not focused on what it should be. I'm worried about a thousand other things, but not what pleases you. When I get up in the morning, you're rarely in my thoughts. Well, I'm committed to you, but I don't love you. And how many of us would pray like that? Because that's the way Jack prayed. How many of us would be honest in our own soul right now with us, you, and the Lord, and me as your brother? How many of you could sit down and say, my heart is white hot for Jesus, or my heart's in trouble? Do you love God with all your heart? When you love someone with all your heart, it shows up every day. It may not be a love letter written to your wife every day, but it shows up every day. Shows up in casual conversations, shows up in your interactions with others. Shows up in how you respond to needs, how you respond to problems. It just shows up. Your first concerns, your first interests, your first thoughts go to the person or the thing that you love the most. Do you ever tell him that you love him? Do you tell him that you love him? Do you ever just stop everything, just say, God, Lord Jesus, I love you. I love you. You know, we, we make fun sometimes of people who don't say, I love you to their wives or their children for years, and we know about the hurt that that can cause, but do we tell the Lord, I love you, Lord? Or do you love something else more? He is a jealous God. He will not let you love something else more. Let me ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. As we close this morning, would you ask him to fill your heart? Would you ask him to show you the places that have been filled with something else? If there are empty places in your heart, places where you're hurting, places where you have great need and you have tried to fill it with other things and you feel the dissatisfaction that's caused,
and you feel that emptiness, would you let him fill the empty places of your heart? Would you let him come in and pour his life into you and replace the idols of your heart, the people and things that you've allowed to take his place? If you need to place your trust in Jesus today to rescue you from sin, understanding that he died for you on the cross, and he didn't die so you could just go to heaven. He died so that you would sell out to him all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And if you're ready this morning to give your life to Christ, to trust him for salvation, to ask him to forgive you, to turn from your sin, turn to him, let him save you. There are pastors here at the front. We'll be happy to talk with you, counsel with you, share scripture with you. But brothers and sisters, what's he saying to your heart? This is your time to respond to him and what he has said to you. The altar steps are open. You can come and pray at the front. I don't know why the steps wouldn't be filled, to be honest. Because every one of us, every one of us is on a journey to love him more. Some of us need to just start that journey today. Others of us have been on that journey. We realize we've gotten lazy in the walk. We just need to say, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me. You did so much for me, and I've done so little. Lord, today I want to give you my whole heart. My whole heart. If that's your heart cry today, would you come? Father, thank you. Holy Spirit, come. Fill this place. Speak to every heart. We're listening. Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me? Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. Open the eyes of my heart. Open the eyes of my heart, I want to see you, I want to see you. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord, open the eyes of my heart, I want to see you, I want to see you. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. To see you high and lifted up. Shining in the light of your glory. Pour out your power. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you.
Let me ask you to bow your heads and to close your eyes. Would you just take some time now? Just you and him. Ask him to fill your heart. The empty places and the broken places. He loves you. He held nothing back for you. Life looks differently. Life changes. Directions change when we discover the one we were made to love. Father and our God, thank you, Lord, for this incredible picture of devotion to someone that is loved. And may we increasingly become a people like that. Fathers, we prepare our hearts to give and worship. We want to be in a place that as we give, we have a sense that our gifts are an act of worship from our heart. And we have a heart cry, a desire that you would use these gifts to change lives. Father, we know that there are ministries here in Wynn that depend on these, that there are missions, churches that are being started and places like Forest City and Casper, Wyoming and Spokane, Washington that depend on these gifts. We know that there are missionaries who are plowing ground every day of the week in countries living in conditions that we cannot even imagine. And may they be encouraged and helped by these gifts. And we ask it in Jesus' name.